Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now back to verse 6, which will be the verse we're looking at today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God, we want you to do that in us. God, enable us to believe that verse, to believe that promise, to believe your truth this morning, that when we hunger and when we thirst for your righteousness, that God, you will satisfy our soul. You will bring us that that joyful fullness that comes only from you. God, help us to be convinced of that. God, help us to be able to lay down the things that we're, we're, we're chasing, God, and to take up pursuing your righteousness. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. And I want you to think for just a minute about what you want, okay? I think that's a great way to start this chapter is, what do you want? Like, uh, what do you desire? What, what are you chasing after? What are you spending your time? If someone followed you around with a video camera for a week and you didn't know it and they're, they're taping you, what, what, at the end of that week, what would they say, man, that person, this is what they're all about. This is what they desire. This is what they're chasing after. This is what they're pursuing. What, what would they say about you, okay? Now, I think, I think going through the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, right? That word means happiness, flourishing, um, joy, okay? And we've already made the case that all seven and a half billion people on the planet are all pursuing happiness. That's true, okay? But what I'm asking is really the question beyond that, what are you pursuing? pursuing your happiness in like like what do you want is what are you chasing what are you striving to attain because that's at the heart of this passage today when Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst all right hunger and thirst are ways of describing what do you intensely desire what what are you chasing after you know I, I, I would almost say that most Americans don't probably experience hunger very often right um, I think that's true of me anyway. Um, you know what I've even found, and this is pretty shameful, that I'll fast, like I fasted this day for a 24-hour period, this week for a 24-hour period. At the end of that, I'm actually not yet, I think I eat so much all the other time that it, it, it probably took me a couple days to actually, like, physically hungry where my stomach would be, you know, hurting, you know, that kind of hunger. That's the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. Uh, thirst maybe is something that you and I can identify with a little bit more. I, I bet you found yourself in a place when it was really hot, maybe July, August, you're mowing the lawn, you're out in a field somewhere chopping wood, do, building fence, whatever, and you don't have any water with you, and it takes you a little while to get back to some water, and you've probably, you know, experienced intense thirst in some way. I remember when Em and I were 
Coming out of the Grand Canyon, we didn't manage our water well. Uh, she's a heavy drinker. So, water, water. But anyway, we didn't manage that. We ran out, you know, on the, on the steep pitch out. And, uh, man, it was, you know, we were ready. We were ready to have a drink by the time we got, got out. Um, my, my most vivid memory from, from uh, on this issue from childhood was uh, when my dad dropped me off. I was probably 12 or 13 uh, at the tractor in the morning. And I made the really bad decision or bad mistake of running over over my water jug. You know, I set it on the tire. Uh, I was out scraping my blades and I just, you know, I took a drink and I set it on the tire and then I went and scraped my blades and I got back in and I put it in gear and I took off and I saw that red thing flying in front of me and then I ran over it, you know? And, uh, I, there was no other drink until you got home, which, you know, if you're a young person in here, that's going to make no sense. Cause you're going to be like, why didn't you just call your mom? You know, <laughs> would you believe it's hard to even conceive of a time when there was not a cell phone, right? I, well, I've become so accustomed to, me, to mine that I just always think, well, I'd just call or I'd just, you know, I'd call Mazio's, have them deliver. Hey, bring me a pitcher of Diet Coke. You know, I mean, I'm out here 12 miles. You know, I, I mean, we, we just always have access. But at that time, I didn't, you know, and so I, I'm just waiting for my dad to come back and pick me up. And I remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to die out here, you know. I am going to, this is it for me. Uh, I remember looking at the clock, you know, 3 o'clock, and I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, when's 7 o'clock going to come? And, and, you know, like three hours later, I'm just driving, driving, dying. I look at the clock again, it's 3.03, you know? And it's like that slow, okay? You, you know what I'm talking about? That's the desire level. Okay, so Jesus is saying, what, what do you desire like that? You, you know what's really scary is some people would probably say nothing. You know, but what do you have that kind of intense longing single-minded pursuit for? And how you answer that question really matters because here's what Jesus says. To desire the wrong things really messes things up, okay? So in other words, for you to, to desire the wrong things, for you to hunger and thirst for the wrong things actually messes up your, your opportunity for happiness. So, so in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. And, and so John tells us, man, to love the wrong thing is actually a serious thing. When we uh, look in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 uh, I am convinced, you've heard me say this many, many times, I'm convinced Romans chapter 1 gives the best de definition or description of the or origin of our sin, the root, that's a better way to say it, the root of our sin than anywhere else in the Bible. And, and the way that Romans 1 describes it is, is that you don't want God. I don't want God. Like, by nature, we, we have seen the glory of God and we've said, no, I, I don't, the, the word that Romans 1 uses several times is exchanged. We, we've exchanged the glory of God. We, we, don't, we don't want him. Like our wanter, everybody has a wanter inside of you. Did you know that? It's always, it's like a little compass. It's always pointing at something, right? It, it, it's what you want. And, and here's what Jesus basically says about us. It's broken. Like it ought to want God. Like it ought to want the best thing. It ought to want happiness and joy and satisfaction that are in and full in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't. Like that's, that's part of our brokenness is that we don't believe that God is the thing that we ought to hunger and thirst for. And so Jesus is saying here, blessed, joyful, flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
Now, let's define that word, okay? Because it's a big word in the Bible, okay? And, and, and I would describe it in these two ways, okay? So righteousness is, first of all, a legal term. So, so by nature, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. In fact, Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. Not one person is right. We're all sinners before God. We're all broken. We've all failed God. We've all not wanted him. We've all sinned against him. And, and so Jesus comes, Jesus comes in righteousness. He comes living righteously. He comes living according to God's commands, perfectly pleasing to the Father, and then dies on the cross for our sins, raises from the dead on the third day, so that, here's the gospel, whoever would turn away from their sins and put their hope and faith solely on Jesus Christ alone, could be joined to him, connected to him. And when you're connected to Jesus, then your sin goes in him. He pays for it. And his righteousness goes in your account. And so Paul is the one who really describes this in all of his letters. He talks about a righteousness that is not your own. That's the way he describes it in Philippians 3. A righteousness that is not your own, but it's the righteousness of Christ in your account so that now I can, I can have fellowship with God. Now I can, I can, I can be right with God Right, get that, right? I can be right with God, that's righteousness because of what Jesus has done because his righteousness is placed in my account, okay? So that's, that's legal righteousness. But a legal righteousness always leads to a practical righteousness, all right? And this is really where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he describes righteousness, most of the time it is a practical righteousness. Let me give you an example of that. So in, in Matthew chapter six, verse one, He's about to talk about giving, praying, fasting, a whole bunch of issues. And you know what he says? He starts that out by saying, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Okay, isn't that an interesting phrase? Practicing your righteousness, right? So, so obviously Jesus is not talking about a legal righteousness by which Jesus' righteousness is put in our account, but he's talking about the living out of that righteousness, right? So once Jesus' righteousness is in my account, now I begin to live righteously i begin to live according to a kingdom ethic according to to the king i, I begin to live like jesus or strive to live like jesus and, and that's the kind of righteousness that flows out of a born again believer really it's it's salvation and sanctification if you want to look at it that way so so in salvation we have a legal righteousness based on the work of jesus and then in sanctification we become more and more like him by the power of the holy spirit right so, so it's righteousness in that way. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I, I think you could even go a step further and say that those who have a legal righteousness, who, who live out a practical righteousness, those people long for a righteousness in the world. You remember how Jesus taught us to pray? He said, pray, Father, may your, may, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think people who are living a practice, practical righteousness, they long for right relationships and right community and right living, all right? So, so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who, who hunger and thirst for this kind of righteousness. It has to begin with a new birth. It, it, we, we, you can't get there without Jesus, right? In fact, in John 3, 3, Jesus says, unless one is born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. He can't see it. He can't imagine, he, he doesn't see it. You can't love and hunger and thirst for something you can't see. So it's got to begin with this 
born-again relationship where Jesus' righteousness is put in your account, and then it begins to live that out in practical righteousness. Now, before we go any further, I, w- I want to get a run at the Beatitudes. So I-, I don't want you to forget the ones we've just looked at. So Because I-, I think they're in in the sequence they are for because Jesus wants them that way. Okay, he-, he spoke them that way, and I believe he wants them that way. So blessed are the poor in spirit. <clears throat> All right, you can't get anywhere with God until you realize you're broken. Until you realize you're broken and, and you-, you need him. Okay, blessed are those who mourn, right? You, you can't get anywhere with God until you begin to be broken over your own sin. Remember, Paul talked about a godly grief, a grief that is broken over sin, and, and it pushes you to repentance and, and to seek Christ. Blessed are the meek. Remember remember all, all the stuff that's on us all the time? Meekness is that ability to commit it to God, to roll it to him. That's what the word commit means in Psalm 37. Roll it to God. That's what meekness is, is you let things roll off of you and onto God. You, you commit your way to God. You trust him. He'll act. You believe that he's going to take care of it. So it's this dependence on God. So in other words, no one gets, no one gets to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness until they're broken over their sin and they begin to commit their way to God. And then God begins to give a spiritual appetite for righteousness. Now, very important point here, okay? Um, Many, many, many people around the world, and particularly in America, I hear this a lot, they're seeking their happiness, which is good, which is good, but they're seeking happiness in happiness, okay, not in righteousness, all right? So here, here's, here's one of the things that Jesus is saying. Seek your happiness in holiness. Seek your happiness in righteousness. Don't, don't seek your happiness in what you think's going to make you happy. You'll never get there. So I've had a recurring conversation with people in my office for 20-some years here in Woodward, Oklahoma, and it always goes just like this, okay? It goes like this. Hey, why are you living in sexual immorality? You know what the Bible says about that. Answer, I want to be happy. Hey, why are you getting a divorce? You know, your marriage can still be saved. Your, your, your spouse is willing to make this work. You know what the Bible says. Why are you doing this? Answer, I just want to be happy. Man, why, why have you charged your credit cards up to the point where your family's in bondage and you've got this incredible you know, amount of anxiety? Why did you do that? I just want to be happy. Okay, do you, do you see the wrong turn that people make? Nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. You should want that. Jesus is baiting you. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Bless. He, he, he's saying, here's the path to happiness. But it is not. It is not. It's not in sin. It, it, it is in righteousness. You, you know the strange thing to think about? Is that there, there are people robbing banks. Not because they've looked at the penitentiary system and said, you know what, that looks like a nice place to be. You know, you get free utilities and free rent and cable TV and a gym. No, you, you know why people are robbing banks? It's a desperate attempt to say, if only I could get this money then I would be happy. It breaks my heart to think there, there's people hiring prostitutes and looking at pornography and lying to their family and going into slavish debt. All, here's why, here's why. They don't have, they don't have some kind of sinister motives. They're just trying to be happy. But they are looking for happiness in the wrong way. You can't get to happy on the road of sin. Like it doesn't lead there. It doesn't end there. 
You can't get there on the road of sin. You can't get to happy on the highway of unrighteousness. And the reason is, is because we must embrace that our real problem, that's interesting to say it that way, because most of the time we think we have a whole bunch of problems. When you look at the scriptures, really, we've got one, actually. Our, our, our real problem, our, the big issue in our life is sin. There's a catechism question that I teach my kids, and the question goes like this. What happened to our first parents, that's Adam and Eve, when they sinned? What happened to our first parents when they sinned? The answer to that question is, instead of being holy and happy, they became sinful and miserable. And I have loved that question because nobody ever taught me that when I was little. <laughs> like nobody ever, nobody ever taught me to equate sin with misery. That is so helpful. Like why did not someone tell me that when I was 10 years old? That, probably because I wouldn't have believed it. I, they, they probably did, actually. I, I don't know. But I'm just saying, had I learned that when I was 10, man, I could have avoided an incredible amount of misery. You need to equate sin with misery. See, the world is going to equate sin with excitement. I mean, they'll never say sin equals excitement, but they will, they will portray a sinful thing, and then they will say, ooh, ooh, there's a, there's a little hit here. And there often is, actually, but it's followed by misery. My little guy, and I don't know why, because Dr. Kirkendall has been so good to him. We, we go to their house and play with their boys. Their, their boys are so good to my little guy. They let him play with all their toys and all their Legos. And, but, but for whatever reason, he equates Dr. Kirkendall's office with misery, okay? So that, you know, when we tell him, hey, we're going, we, we said this happened the other day. He, he's, uh, I, he, he may have gave me this thing, okay? I don't know. But anyway... We were taking him to the doctor, and all the whole way there, he's like, no, no, I'm well, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, I mean, he's just like, he equates it with misery. And, and he should not, okay? Because actually nothing miserable has really ever happened to him there. I mean, he's had a few shots, which is probably what he's thinking of. But they've all, listen, they've all resulted in him being better. So you, you can't equate. Your anger, your vengeance, your anxiety, your sin, don't equate that with happiness. Learn to just automatically say, okay, sin, my sin, my, my bad attitude, my, my, my wrong thinking toward this brother, that brings misery. Equate it with misery. Pursuing happiness by chasing after money, possessions, forbidden pleasures, unscriptural things, it is really like chasing bubbles. Have you ever played bubbles with your kids? You know, we do it all the time. Emma buys the great big, like not the little, you know, I used to have the little bitty ones when I was a kid, you know, little, man, Emma's got these monster size ones, you know, that we buy. And, but it's, it's almost, it's honestly kind of cruel, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you blow in there these fantastic things. And, and what do the kids do? They try to catch them, right? And, and, and what happens? Oh, oh, pop, you know. Oh, oh, pop, you know, run after that one. I, I, I get them going, I'll blow, you know, win away. go get it, go get it, you know. Pop, you know, pop, 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 pop. And every once in a while, they'll just get it in their hand, and they're like, dad, pop. You know, what? I had it. I don't see it, you know. What, what do you get? 20 minutes chasing bubbles. What, what, do you, what do you take home? Usually you're a little sticky. Have you noticed that? That's it. Nothing, nothing. I bet you there's people in this room that have had 
this experience. I have. We've talked about it actually before. You're, you're making, uh, when we were in college, man, what we were making? I think we both were working, making four or $500 a month. And I remember thinking, man, if I could only make 15000 a year, if I could make 15000 a year, literally my problems would be gone. And then I made 15000 a year. I still had problems. And so I thought, ah, I, my number was wrong. If I, if I, if I could make 25000 a year, you know, and then you make 20, and what happens? 50 and 50. Why do we believe that? Fortunately, most of us run out of skill and, you know, before Solomon did. Solomon, man, he, he got to chase that dude way out there. Millions, billions. Until finally at the end of his life, he writes Ecclesiastes and says, it's all vanity. Pop. Isn't that something? His whole life. You know, and he gets out there with the billion dollar mark and he's got the bubble and it's gone. Why? Because it's not the issue. Man, we can all save ourselves. The rest of that, if we just believed, believe what Jesus is saying here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. If, if you're chasing it in something else, you're missing the issue. The issue in your unhappiness is sin. You should be pursuing righteousness. Okay, but here's the real life. I just, I, man, I, it's really good for me to be honest with myself. And so hopefully this resonates with you. So, so here's the issue at this point in the sermon, okay? So let's say you're buying into everything I've already said. I buy into everything I've said, what, what the Bible says, really what Jesus said. Okay, but then here, we get to this point, and we have to be honest. But for some reason, my appetite for God is lacking. Why is that? Are you, are you there? No, I'm not saying you're always there. I, I don't think I've always been there. But I, but I think there's been a lot of times in my life where that was the problem. Like, why don't I want him more? Okay, so ask yourself this. So you get a free moment. What's more appealing? Oh, man, pastor, he handed out my... Memory verse deal. Fred always tries to pull the, I lost my paper on me, so I'll, I'll send him a copy uh, digitally on his phone. So you got a little moment. This or social media? Because what's on Facebook? Is there a new cat video? Is there a new gun? <laughs> Man, it's all guns and cats, isn't it, you know? Guns and cats and Trump hater, Trump lover. I'd like to see guns killing cats. That, no, no, no. I mean, that would be more interesting than what's on there. I mean, let's just be honest. Well, are guns killing little wiener dogs, huh, Evans? Huh? How about that? Snickers. I could go for that video. How do we get off on this? Anyway. What? What do people go to? It, why is it? Like, ask yourself, why do, why do I got to make myself go here when I reflexively go the other place? You see, I, I don't want the right thing. That's part of my brokenness. That's part of what is messed up inside my soul is that I don't have the appetite for God that I ought to have. It's not new. Listen to Isaiah. 
Oh, this is such a good passage. Isaiah 55, ready? This is invitation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Then this, this condemning verse, verse two. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah is saying, why are you spending your life for things that they didn't satisfy you last week? They didn't satisfy you yesterday. They didn't satisfy you 10 minutes ago. So why do you keep going back? That's what he's saying. He said, come to Jesus. Come to God. Trust him. So maybe, maybe the way to say the rest of this is we need to develop an appetite for God. All right, now, you can't do that unless you're born again. So that's step one, right? If you're dead, dead people don't have appetites, right? Normally, there's two reasons why, why people don't have a good appetite. They're dead or they're sick. True, right? And dead people, Ephesians 2, 1, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't have good appetites. Um, I remember that. I, I remember being a lost guy and, and knowing the verses, knowing the stories, but genuinely did not have a hunger, did not have a thirst, did not have a pursuit of God. Right? But sick people also generally don't have a good appetite, right? And so if you are sick with sin, that will hinder your appetite for God. Man, C.S. Lewis is the guy that really turned me on to the fact that we, so many times, our real problem is we go for the small hit instead of the big thing. So uh, Lewis's quote was uh, something about um, we're all uh, silly creatures playing like in a mud hole instead of. Um, going on a vacation to the ocean or something. That is a terrible, uh, he did not say that, but he said something like that, okay? C.S. Lewis obviously would have said it much better than that. But anyway, but that's the premise of it. He's like, you know, it's kind of the picture of the, the guy who goes to the ocean. There's a yacht waiting for him, you know, to go out on a reef, and, and, but he stays in the parking lot. There's a mud hole, and he's, you know, throwing mud up, you know? And Lewis is like, that's us. We, we settle for the small Coming up in Matthew 6, there's these um, neat verses where um, he talks about, you know, giving to the needy and prayer and fasting. And he's saying, but don't do it for the small hit. All right. So listen what he says. He says, um, says, when you give to the needy to be seen by men, he said, you've got your reward. So so if I give to somebody so that Bonnie will, will see me do it, and then she'll be like, oh, isn't our pastor a neat guy? Okay, now let's be real honest. Bonnie's a great lady. Bonnie would think well of me. I know she would. But let's just be real honest. How long would Bonnie think that about me? Like how long would that thought stay in her head? Probably, if I'm lucky, maybe three seconds, right? And then she's on to something else. And that was my reward. Like, like see, Jesus is saying, don't be so short-sighted. Don't, don't always be, be looking at the small hit Isn't that what all that is? Isn't that what alcohol is? Isn't that what drugs are? Isn't that what pornography is? Isn't that what lust is? Isn't that what credit cards are? I mean, they're all, it's just a small hit. This this easy, temporary, tiny bit of satisfaction. And it's gone. And, And our problem is we don't go after the big one. We don't go after the big reward. And so over and over in Matthew 6, he's gonna say something like this. 
So, so in other words, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that, so that you may give in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Prayer, he says the same thing. So your father who, who, know, who sees will reward you. Fasting, he says the same thing. So your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, you want, you want what God can give you. That's the joy. That's the satisfaction. Okay, so first of all, how do you develop an appetite for God? Well, you, you stop eating the junk. And, and you stop settling for the small things. You start wanting the big things from God. Number two, this is a real practical thing. You, you got to taste. Okay, so Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the man who takes refuge in him. I came back from Africa last year and I brought a big bag of dates. And uh, man, I, when I'm there, I eat them dudes like morning, noon, and night. Like we, we got in the car, we start eating them. Um, they're, they're like, Caramel heaven. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they're, re- they're really good, you know? And I brought them back, and I, and I told my family, Here, here's what I did wrong, and I know I did this wrong, you know? But I told them just what my host had told me. I was just communicating information, but I said, I said Here, here's the way you eat them. You, you break them open, and there's going to be a big seed inside, and so you kind of get that seed out. And then, then while, you, while you get that out, you know, you should always just look, make sure there's not a worm, because sometimes that happens, you know? Well, everybody's out, you know? And nobody will taste, and I'm telling them, these are great. No, 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 Dad, I don't want it, you know. Okay, so the psalmist is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. All right, I'm going to jump to where I think this practically works, okay? So Second Peter 1 says this. I'm going to read it, and then I'll, I'll explain it, and then we'll, we'll quickly finish, okay? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. Okay, that's important. God has given us his promises. Why has he given us his promises? So that through them you may become partakers. That's an interesting word. Partaker is like an eating word, isn't it? You, you partake of something. You may become partakers of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Righteousness. All right, so in other words, I'm just, I'm, I'm just pulling Second Peter out. There's a lot of other places in the Bible that say this. But essentially what Peter is saying is, is that God gives his promises, and, and, and when you Take them in. When, when, when you take in his promises, you, you develop righteousness. You develop a, a desire for righteousness. You partake in God's own character. All right? so, so that makes other passages make sense to me, like 1 Peter 2, when it's talking about the word of God, and it says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, Peter's saying, why would you desire the word of God? Because you've tasted that he's good. See, there's the promise. He's good. And, and so if I, if I believe that he's good, then I'm going to partake of his word. Peter's saying the same thing. If I believe his promises, which they're, they're incredible, what God has promised to do in me and in you and through us together collectively in the world, man, there, there's multitudes of promises. And so we grab onto those and we believe them. And as we believe them and act on them, we, we develop an appetite for God. We begin to hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. You know, I, I, I like certain words better than others, don't you? Satisfied is, is, a, is a good word. Like it's a, it's a fun word, satisfied. You know, to be, to be satisfied. Not, not satisfied like, like when you've just had enough. Like, have you ever eaten something to the point where you're like, okay, if I eat any more, this is going to go the other way? Like, it's not going to be a good thing? 
it, it's not that. It's not like we get enough of God and we're like, okay, too much, God. I need to go watch TV a little bit. Satisfied in the sense that, man, that, that filled me up. That, that filled my soul. Like that, that refreshed me. Hungered and thirst. Jesus says, he, or Psalm 107, 9 says, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. John 6, 35 says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He believes in me will never thirst. Jesus will satisfy. So I, I tell you what, what I'm gonna do. So what I'm gonna do this week is, uh, what I've already tried to do is identify, identify patterns in my life in which I'm going after small things. Patterns in my life. I, I read a I read a a, uh, a book this week that um, man it's, it had a it had a great little phrase. What was it? Um, restless laziness. There it is. It was it was talking about Americans. It says most Americans have a restless laziness. And man, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like again, it's the whole social media. Like like you just were on there like 20 minutes ago. Why 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 are you on there again? You know, why, why are you pay, playing Candy Crush for the one millionth time? You know, why, why are you flipping through the channels again? Because there's a restless laziness, right? And you're, and you're going after this small, tiny hit in, instead of the big thing. So I, I'm going to try to identify areas of my life where I could just as easily go to God, you know? Maybe I have a spare moment. Maybe I have... You know, maybe I'm taking a break and, and, and instead of going to some restless laziness, I, I, I want to I go to God. I want to be refreshed by Him. I want to believe Him. I want to believe that, man, He will satisfy my soul. So, so maybe you'd take that step. Maybe you got some things in your life where you're like, man, I, I, I tell you what, this memory, man, isn't that a great way to start? Man, just knock all those dudes out. Green, blue, and black. Ski them, all right? You may not be a mogler, but you could be a memorizer. Father, I pray that you'd help us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put in us a great appetite for spiritual things. God, whet our appetite for you, for truth, for your promises, for what you said you would do, you promised to do. God, may those things be satisfying to us. May we hunger and thirst for them. God, may we hunger and thirst for righteous lives, for righteous relationships, for righteous living. God, help us to equate sin with misery and holiness with happiness. God, put that in our brains, put that in our hearts so that when we, when we sin, God, we immediately think of misery. God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.